couple of notes I want to read in terms of thanks. This is from Joe and Alice Jean Martin. Alice Jean did the writing. I can't explain on this card how much Joe and I enjoyed your songs, you visit, your visit at such a busy time, and the real feeling of love and caring radiating from each of you. It was a blessing and the lovely gift of fruit so useful to us on our senior diet. Lord has been so good to us with friends like you from Royden Brook, Cookie Joe and Alice Jean. And she says, blessings to all that participated in singing the good news for shut-ins, especially Karen and Danny Brubaker, Peg and Karen Marvin, and nephew Bill Beam. I felt like I was at choir practice. Please pray for us as I am in AFib again. Again, that's from Alice Jean. So your ministry to the five of you was appreciated. Then from uh, Pastor Howe, he had spoken a few weeks back. Dear Pastor Dan and church family, thank you for the privilege of preaching God's word in your church. I was overwhelmed with your generous love gift. Thank you so much. May our wonderful Lord bless each of you with his abundant grace this Christmas holiday season. Again, Pastor Howe. And then he has Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Let's pray together and then interact with God's word. Father, we thank you that we can pray, we can talk to you, we can worship. Thank you for your revealing yourself. Thank you for extending grace. So we consider Christ this morning. We want to be hearing and doing for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. During the days when Romania was under communist rule, there was a pastor and his wife who went through periods of prison time. And in a book entitled Hearts of Fire, Eight Women in the Underground Church and Their Stories of Costly Faith, the author in speaking of Sabina says, a few weeks later, Sabina was brought before the deputy commander, a red-faced woman with heavy forearms and large splendid teeth. Her bulky uniform seemed to encumber her movements as though it were armor. You've been preaching about God to the prisoners. It must stop, she warned. I'm sorry, but I can't stop, Sabina replied. Furious, the deputy commander raised a fist to strike Sabina. Then she stopped and stared. What are you smiling about? She demanded, her face blotchy with rage. Sabina said, if I'm smiling, it is because of what I see in your eyes. And what is that? Myself, Sabina answered. When people come close to each other, they see themselves in each other's eyes. In your eyes, I see myself. I used to be impulsive too. I used, or I used to rage and strike out at others with sharp words and selfish thoughts until I learned what it meant to love. When you're able to love, you're able to sacrifice yourself for the truth. Since I learned that lesson, my hands do not clench into fist. The officer seemed surprised and stunned by Sabina's boldness. In silence, she continued, 
If you look into my eyes, you'll see yourself as God could make you. It was as though the deputy commander had turned to stone. Her angry demeanor did not change, but quietly said, Go away. Sabina continued to witness for Christ among prisoners. Why would Sabina want to share Christ in the midst of persecution? There's an older couple that I know. If I mention their names, some of you would recognize them. They're in the twilight years of their life. They may have weeks to live. They may have months to live. That will be up to the Lord. They have loved God for many years. They faithfully ministered through their local church for many years. Due to physical reasons, their days of ministry know pretty well over in that way. They taught their child to love God, to walk with God. They went to work day after day, their normal routine, and were just faithful at what we would call the work-a-day world. They loved one another. They gave their money to help others, to expand the cause of Christ. They're presently in the season of life where there's tremendous pain, and some days just wishing they were no longer on earth because they're anticipating something better. But they have been faithful year after year after year. Why? The answer is Jesus. Whether it be Sabina or the couple I just mentioned, who is the Word, who is Creator, who is Life, who is Light, who is the Lamb of God, who is the Son of God. Last week we considered John's Gospel, which reveals Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that by believing in His name, you may have life. John began his Gospel by stating very clearly that Jesus is God, that is the Son of God. He concludes his book by stating the same thing. In between, he gives signs that Christ did, miracles that Christ did, teaching that Christ shared to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. We found last week that John communicates that Jesus, the one whose birth we celebrate, is the Word. He's life. Before life, he's creator. He's life. He's light. He's the Lamb of God. And he's the Son of God. Unless you think we're going to be here a long time, if we're going to complete the circle, whatever we get to this morning, we get to. And whatever we don't get to, that's okay. We're not going to rush to finish something just to be finished, but rather to interact with Scripture and let it minister to us. And keep in mind that as you look at the Gospel of John as well as the other Gospel, it's a transition point in history. We have what we call the Old Testament, sacrifices being offered over and over again. Then we go after Christ and we have what we call the New Testament. We have the church coming on the scene. But when Christ came to this earth, 
He lived, he died, he arose from the dead. That's a transition point. We go into the early church, a transition period of time. So keep in mind as we look at some passages this morning that we're dealing with a transition where Christ is being revealed and he is revealing God. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Christ is the word. Creator, life, light, the Lamb of God, and the Son of God. In John chapter 4, we find that Jesus is going to come in or encounter the Samaritan woman. And what is happening, he's leaving Judea, and he's going back once more to Galilee. And as you think about what is happening. He was in Judea. He's going to go up to Galilee. And the normal path that would be followed, they would cross the Jordan River from Judea, go up the east side of the Jordan River to Galilee. But the text says in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus is not following the normal path of travel, but rather he's going to go through Samaria. And keep in mind that the Samaritans and the Jews were not the most friendly towards one another because the Samaritans would have been had Jewish and Gentile blood. And there was resistance. But verse 4 clearly says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And again, here's that town that he came to. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. We're talking about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a well of or in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have... And what you have just said is quite true. 
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worship, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the context, but Jesus offers living water. When you look at the last verse that I read, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. Now keep in mind, he is speaking to a religious woman. Because worship is mentioned later, the Samaritans worship. Know what you do not know. We worship because we know for salvation is from the Jews. He's speaking to a religious individual. And he says to this lady, I can give you living water. But that is in the context again of Jesus bringing up the issue of wanting a drink. He asked for a drink of what we call water. And Jesus turns the conversation around to living water. And when you think about water, you think about thirst. And you think about satisfaction. <clears throat> Quenching of a thirst. I remember quite often when we were kids, we would bail hay. We'd go out in the field, we would get a load of hay or two, and we'd bring them in. Pulled up by the elevator. One of us would throw the hay bales into the elevator. Two or three of us were up in the hay mouse stacking the hay. We would get done and we would say, hot, thirsty, itchy. We'd get down to the water and we would stick our arms under it and rinse off all the dust. Then we would take a drink. That would satisfy until the next load came in. And Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. I give satisfaction spiritually. I give you so that you don't have to thirst. Here's a Samaritan woman doing, doing, doing to try to achieve God. The Jews offer sacrifice after sacrifice. And Jesus says, I'm the living water. In the context, along with what he said in chapter 7, He's saying, I'm eternal life. I'm the way to a relationship with God. 
I'm the way to relationship that you can have with me. Take a drink of the living water at a point in time and you'll be satisfied throughout life. Discontinue looking because I'm the living water. He also mentions that streams of water will flow. Between this and John chapter 7, he's talking there about the Holy Spirit. I want you to stop and think about how many thirsty people are in the world. They're spiritually thirsty. They make sure they go to church every week because if they don't, they think God gives a black check. They're giving money faithfully because the church requires it. And if they don't, they get a black check. They will faithfully confess their sins because if they don't confess their sins, they get another black check. But they're thirsty. They're drinking at doing And Jesus says, I'm the living water. Stop and think about religious people today. How many of us, talking us here today, are trying to measure up to God? We're still thirsting. Ah, I didn't read my Bible enough. I came down a couple levels with God. Ah, I didn't pray enough. I came down a couple more levels. I missed that opportunity to share Christ. I came down a couple more levels. Jesus is saying to the woman at the well, I'm the living water. Jesus is saying to religious people, I'm the living water. Jesus is saying to us, I'm the living water. And he says, If you had asked, I would have given you living water. It wells up to eternal life. What's he talking about? Satisfaction. Jesus is saying, I satisfy your thirst. People worship. They do. They try and try. The other day I was talking to someone and the individual said, well, I'll try. Jesus says, stop trying. Drink from me. And we know if you read on in the text that the woman went into town and brought some people with them and many Samaritans believed. But Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. The one whose birth we celebrate is the living water. If you have come to faith in Christ, I want you to take this thought of living water and think about your life tomorrow and next week and in weeks to come. You're going to get up and you're going to go to your job. You're going to go to school. You're going to do shopping. You're going to live with your family. Think about the fact that 
you possess living water. You don't have to try. It's relying on the living water, who is Christ. So I get up tomorrow morning and say, well, I'll try to be kind to my wife today. And God says, you can express that as a desire, but apart from Christ as your life, as your living water, you won't do very well because your focus is on yourself, not on Christ. Go over to John chapter 6. Christ is the Word. He's creator. He's life. He's light. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the living water. And in John chapter 6, tied in with satisfaction, we find Jesus being presented as the bread of life. We're not going to read the entire context. But in verses 1 through 24, Jesus had fed to 5,000. So that's the background, that's the setting for the discussion concerning Jesus telling people that he is the bread of life. And again, we're not going to read the entire passage, but look at verse 33, well, 32 and 33. Let's back up to 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who gave, has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. And we could read on. But Jesus makes it very, very clear, and as you read on in the context, Jesus is saying, I'm the bread. You talk about manna. Well, that came from my Father. And they make the request, verse 34, Sir, from now on give us this bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Just as water satisfies thirst, bread in that day being something you needed daily to live, 
He says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, in the context, he's talking to religious people. He's saying to these religious people, I'm the bread of life. You want satisfaction? Eat of me. And he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That would be for another time if we want to go into that. That would take more than uh, a couple minutes. But Jesus is saying, I'm bread of life. I satisfy hunger. It's done. Just as water satisfies, period. He's saying, I'm the bread. I satisfy, period. I'm it. I'm the bread. You need me. I'm the water. You need me. But also, there's constant maintenance. Jesus continues to be the bread. He was the bread, is the bread, and will be the bread. He was the water, is the water, will continue to be the water, because later on, he says, I am. So there's constant maintenance. There's life. A relationship of giving life. To us and sharing that life with others. Do you ever stop to consider how very hungry religious people are? I was having lunch with a guy over Easter or during Lent, we'll say. We were walking in the restaurant, he said, uh, I guess I can't order meat today. It's Lent. Religious background, but not really practicing in the present. So I thought, well, I better watch what I order today so that I'm not offensive to this guy in any way. But what was he saying when he said, I better not order meat? He's saying, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm hungry spiritually because I got to please God by not eating meat during Lent. He was thirsty. He was hungry spiritually. So the guy who said to me, Pastor, in light of what I did to this other person, can God forgive me? He's saying, I'm hungry. I got this guilt. I'm carrying it. I don't know what to do with it. I'm hungry. Can you help me? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Those who haven't come to faith in Christ are striving. They're searching. They're hungry. They want bread. Jesus says to these people, I'm the bread of life. But bring it to our lives. We also many times are hungry. Because we still live in a fallen world. And we don't always respond correctly. Lord, yesterday, I didn't treat my kids very well. I 
think you can forgive me? If you're a believer and God were verbally speaking to you, you'd probably say something in this order, no, I cannot forgive you. I already have. When you came to the bread of life. We live in a world that is looking for acceptance and craving as individuals. And our culture and even the religious communities many times have a you must do. You go to school. What's the teacher do? Sorry, teachers. They give you a thing called a test. You get an A or a B or a C or a D or an F. And teachers don't say, you did very well, you got an F. I'm just going to pass you. You go to the job and the boss comes into you and says, you haven't been doing very well. You haven't been performing very well. I'm going to give you a raise of $1,000 a week. It depends on performance. Or children, you misbehaved, so I'm going to discipline you. And that's biblical. Please do that, parents. They behave and maybe sometimes we comfort them, compliment them. But we're looking for that. And we do the same thing with God. How many of those who are believers in Christ are still trying to measure up? You're still hungry. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. So I can go to God and I can say, God, I really blew it. I yelled at my wife. I screamed at my grandkids. I kicked the dog. Say thank you that I'm accepted. Why? Because the one whose birth we celebrate is the bread of life. Stop and think about that individually and how that looks as a family, how that looks as you go to your jobs. For the people to whom Jesus is speaking, it would have meant you cease trusting in some sacrifice and you come to Christ. If we have come to faith in Christ, He's our bread. He satisfies. And He continues to be our bread. So on January 4th, you get up, you get dressed to go to school. And as you're getting dressed to go to school, you think, oh, yeah, we celebrated Christ's birth a couple of weeks ago. The one whose birth we celebrate is the Word. He's creator. He's life. He's light. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the living water. And He's the bread of life. 
This ought to be a pretty decent day at school. No matter what I face, it might be tough in circumstances that I face, but I have Christ. So you get up on January 4th and go to your job and you think, ah, oh, all last week off, got to go to work. But you stop and think the one whose birth we celebrated, he is the word. He's creator, he's life, he's light, he's the son of God, he's the lamb of God, he's the living water, he's the bread of life. That's where John is coming from. The bread. It's not something at a point in time. The living water, the bread of life, is day by day by day. When you're doing well, when you're blowing it. When you're having a terrible day and when you're having a decent day. Christ remains the living water the bread of life. Why would Christ come as the word, as creator, as life, as light, as the lamb of God, as the son of God, as the living water, as the bread of life, as the I am, as the gate? We won't go into all those this morning. Because he came to reveal God. To we humans. Who are by nature separated from God. So that we can have life. Christ makes a difference in how we live as his children. Because we're dealing with one who is the word, who's creator, who is life, who is light, who is the lamb of God, who is the son of God, who is the living water, who is the bread of life, who is the gate, the resurrection, the truth. And we can mention others. So when Peggy gets up on January 5th, that Tuesday morning, to get the kids ready for school and to ship Alan off to work, who Christ is and the one whose birth we celebrate makes a difference in how they live and how they respond. So Hayden and Colin head off to school along with their sister. And they can think about Christ being the word Creator, life, light, and so on. If you ponder the one whose birth we celebrate and who he is as revealed in John, we can start resting rather than trying. Lord, I want to obey but it's through Christ, the Word, Creator, Life, Light, Lamb of God, Son of God, Living Water, the Bread of Life.
So as we think about Christmas, we think about the birth of Christ. And you think about a babe in a manger. Think about the Word, the Creator, life, light, Lamb of God, Son of God, living water, the bread of life. Simple questions. Is Christ your water? Is he your bread? Have you come to faith in him? If not, why not today? If you come to faith in Christ and he is your bread, he is your water, pause often to think about Christ. Let him live through you as your water as your bread. As we pray together this morning, I will begin praying with, or praying about several items, followed by Travis praying for Arlene Updike. And I will begin praying with a prayer from the time of the Puritans, as I did last week which talks about Christ. Let's pray together. My Father, in a world of created, changeable things, Christ in his word alone remains unshaken. Who to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him, the foundation, to abide in him, be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ, who has designed purchased, promised, affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the Lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy will, love, life, and have no comforter, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee, But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy Son, as a mediator between thyself and my soul, as middleman who is in a pit, holds both him below and him above. For only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May May I always lay hold upon this mediator as I realize, or as a realized object of faith, and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is near and dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word on his part and by faith on mine. Father, we praise you and we thank you for Christ for revealing yourself through Christ. That Christ is the Word, Creator, Life, Light, Lamb of God, Son of God, the living water, the bread of life. And we're grateful that when we come to faith in Christ, that we are justified, we have peace with you. 
We have access into your grace. There's no condemnation. There's an inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil, or fade away. And Father, may we live in light of Christ being the living water, the bread of life. May we grow in understanding how to stop trying to live well and relying upon Christ as our water, as our bread. And we thank you for giving us the body of Christ, giving us other believers in whom we can depend upon and they depend upon us. And within that body, being a blessing and an encouragement to one another, and together seeking to grow in Christ. And I pray, Father, for Karen Marvin, along with Lee and Grace McMurtry. And Father, I pray that through the work of your Spirit, they might be strengthened with your power in their inner being so that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray, too, that they're being rooted and established in your love. They may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of the fullness of you. May they grasp too, Father, as Paul says in Ephesians 3.19, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May they grasp that, Father, in daily life. May they know Christ because you give them a spirit of wisdom and understanding in their daily life. As Karen would seek to have godly relationships and care for people and express love and concern, as she experienced your power at work in her, she would be sought and light and ambassador and grace to others. You might provide a job for her as she continues to look. May she be a blessing to her family. I pray for Lee and Grace that they may experience your power as they relate to one another as husband and wife. Lee seeking to lead and love. Grace being a helper, a compliment, a companion. May they have wisdom and understanding as they parent adult children and relate to grandchildren. May Lee be gracious in a deep dependency upon you as he ages and deals with the trials that come. May grace in her job work and live in such a way that she reflects a Christ-likeness. Thank you, Father, for your grace in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.